Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Music, Money, and Life podcast. This podcast is brought to you by howtolicenseyourmusic.com. If you'd like to learn how to make money licensing your music in TV shows, films, video games, commercials, ads, and so on, visit howtolicenseyourmusic.com today. If you go there right now, you can get a totally free 202-page ebook called An Insider's Guide to Music Licensing, which is all about how to make money licensing your music in TV shows, films, and ads. Again, it's totally free, no strings attached. Visit howtolicenseyourmusic.com for more information. Okay, I have another great podcast for you guys. Today I'm speaking with Michael Nieves, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Sugaroo Music. And Sugaroo has been around since 1999. They're a really interesting company. And one of the interesting things about Sugaroo is that they work with a lot of really big name acts. They work with bands and artists like Wilco, Kate Bush, Mason Jennings, Billy Bragg, Michael Fronte and Spearhead, The Offspring, Tom Tom Club, Ani DeFranco, and many, many more artists that I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, it was a great conversation, another great podcast. One of the things that I liked about this podcast in particular is that Michael doesn't sugarcoat anything. He really tells you like it is, and he... Um, offers a very interesting perspective on what it takes to succeed in music licensing in 2017 and beyond. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Music, Money, and Life podcast. Uh, today, I'm really excited to be speaking with the founder of Sugaroo, Michael. Am I, tell me if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Is it Michael Neves? It's Michael Nieves. Nieves. I knew I was going to screw that up. Michael Nieves, who is the founder of Sugaroo, which is a music licensing, marketing, and management company. And uh, thanks so much for doing this, Michael. My pleasure. So the first thing I, I wanted to, to sort of just dive into is I'm looking at your roster of artists and and it's huge. You work with a lot of uh, a lot of really big name acts. It looks like a lot of indie acts as well. But you looks like you represent artists like Wilco, Kate Bush, Mason Jennings, Billy Bragg, Michael Franti, and Spearhead, The Offspring, a, a lot of bands and, and artists for, for licensing. Are you, how, how does it work, Michael? Are you representing their record labels or do you work with the artists directly? Yeah, I mean, for most of the artists that you just name checked, they come from Epitaph and Anti, uh, who we have been representing, you know, for I guess about nine or ten years now. So the overwhelming majority of our collective roster are from the record labels or music publishing companies that we represent. There's not, you know, I'd say probably like 
3% of our catalog are people that are signed directly to us, um, not through another entity. So yeah, so the overwhelming majority are from the, the labels and publishers that we look after. And interesting, the 3% of artists that you that you do work with independently, how does that work? Do they come to you? Do you go to them? How do you connect with each other? In all honesty, you know, probably over the last seven or eight years, almost all of it is them coming to us. You know, I mean, we, you know, we have a pretty sizable roster and we've really sought to curate a roster over the years that has, you know, a, a really good, diverse collection of licensable music. You know, so whether it's most of it's contemporary, though, you know, some of it are older catalogs or some records from the past. So generally speaking, you know, we're not, you know, specifically ever really on the hunt for stuff. You know, I mean, we probably get, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20 solicitations, you know, every week. You know, some of those are directly from artists, some from managers, from some from labels, some from publishers. And we turn the bulk of those down because, you know, we really want to be able to meaningfully work the artists um, that are already on our roster. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if if I was an indie artist and I looked at the artist you represent already, I would be pretty intimidated. How important is it that the the artists that come to you that you choose to represent? Like, what what are you looking for? Are you looking for a pretty established artist, or is it solely based on the music, or a little little bit of both? Well, I mean, it, it's it's primarily based on the music, but it, it, we we really come at it from you know a three pronged criteria. You know, with the understanding that anything that we're going to take on um, has to be what we consider to be licensable. So, you know, there could be music that we may love personally, but if we don't really see a pathway to success for licensing it, it, it doesn't make sense for us. So that said, you know, kind of the three categories that we look at are either, you know, someone is a, is a name artist who's got recognition um, where, you know, people will know them and they have licensable music. Um, you know, someone is coming to us who also has licensable music, but we feel like it's, you know, kind of a style of music that um, we don't really represent already or we don't have much of. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so for instance, you know, we're always looking for really good sample-free, you know, commercial-sounding hip-hop, you know. So if okay. someone came to us with that, that would be interesting to us. And then the third category you know, and this is very subjective, is just someone comes to us with something that we just think is so undeniably great and we can really see so many opportunities to license it that we would feel like idiots if we didn't take them on. So those are, you know, broadly spoken, our three categories of, of you know, kinds of music or artists we'd be looking for, you know, when someone comes to us that we would potentially sign. And, and interesting, and in terms of music that has that sort of X factor that you speak of, I know it's subjective, like you said, and it's probably hard to sort of define, but can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the characteristics? Like, what is it about songs and artists that that grab you? Is it compl all over the map, or is there anything you can kind of point to for artists that are listening to this? No, it, it really is all over the map, and, and that, you know, sounds like a cop-out, but it's not, you know, I mean, because yeah. there's just such a broad range of music that, you know, the people that we pitch music to, you know, are looking for. Now, there are certain things that end up getting, you know, cyclical, you know, so every now and then there's a really hot artist or a hot style of music that suddenly everybody wants, you know, and, you know, a number of years ago it was, you know, Florence and the Machines, and, you know, and then we went through a period of time where it was like Black Keys, and so, you know, people were, you know, anytime someone came to us with music, you know, that was somewhat reminiscent of those, you know, with strong songs that we thought were licensable, like, oh, that kind of piqued our interest, but... You know, generally, um, you know, the, the music that we may be looking for 
that we think is has opportunities in episodic television could be pretty different than the music that we think has opportunities for it in, in advertising or theatrical trailers. So, you know, I mean, there are certain kinds of songs and certain kinds of artists who, whose music gets used pretty universally, you know, across the spectrum of the different, you know, uh, visual medias. But, you know, but generally, you know, when we're, when we're hearing something and we're considering it, it's it's like, oh, we could really hear this, you know, particular artist songs, you know, could be in a variety of different TV shows, you know, or wow, this really, we could really pitch to the trailer house world. So, um, so it's less, it's really not about a style of music per se, as much as, you know, the, the songs and, and how they resonate and, um, and do we think we can find homes for them? Interesting. And do you think that the artists that are writing music that tends to work well for these different contexts, whether it's television or advertising, do, do you feel like they're trying to write for those mediums or do you feel like they just happen to write songs that align themselves with, with these different outlets? Well, I mean, that's a good question. You know, I, I think most artists, when they're sitting down to, you know, write songs or to write their next record, are just trying to create something that they find, you know, you know, artistically satisfying. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some of our artists, you know, who we're particularly close with, who, um, you know, will sometimes send us and say, hey, you know, I'm working on this and, you know, just want to know what you think. And so when we give you know, artist feedback like that, you know, the, 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 the caveat we say initially is like, listen, our comments are not going to be what we think is, is the right thing artistically. Our comments are what we think, you know, can make it the most licensable from a sync perspective. Um, so, which is a different kind of commentary. Uh, and then, you know, and then similarly, we have people that, yeah, like really like, you know, they're in the studio and they're writing songs and they're like, hey, you know, um, I also want them, you know, just write, you know, I know you've said to me, you know, you need songs that sound more like X, Y, or Z or that are about the following topic. So, you know, separate from the songs from my record, I've made a, you know, I wrote and recorded a couple others that I think you might find homes for licensing-wise. And So it's really kind of all over the map. I mean, I think most artists are creating music just to create something artistically satisfying and they want to, you know, make the best record they can make, you know, while others will occasionally, you know, just try to create some songs that they think um, we can license. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like it's sort of a, a combination of both. I mean, I would imagine if if your only focus is trying to write songs that you think would work in the background of a television show or in the context of an ad that would sort of suck the, the creativity out of the, the creative process. Yeah, I mean, look, the, you know, when... You know, I've I've spoken, you know, moderated or been on different sync licensing panels and different kinds of, you know, music um, conferences, you know, over the years, both domestically and internationally. And, you know, people are always asking, you know, oh, you know, are, are you know, are my songs licensable or what? And, and again, I mean, I'm like, hey, you know, go and get lists of songs that are getting used in TV shows or go, you know, don't, you know, don't scroll through commercials, watch commercials that have songs in them and listen to them. You know, you'll, you'll get a sense of, you know, the kind of songs that get used in TV shows. You get a sense of, you know, songs that get used in commercials. Or when you go to the movies and you're watching the trailers before the film starts, pay attention to the songs that are used there because there are songs that are, you know, used in trailers. And, you know, and I think most people don't realize that most of the music that's used in trailers is not, are not also used in the film. I mean, that's a totally separate function and it's a totally separate department that chooses music for trailers. So, um yeah, it's always, you know, if that's something that someone wants to consider, then there's lots of opportunity to go and listen to music that's getting used and, and get a sense of the vibe or the lyrical content or, or what have you. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so shifting gears, sort of like what I'm trying to do with my podcast and my website and, and really everything that I'm doing in general is I'm really trying to provide artists with sort, sort of a map, a formula to the extent that, that, that that's even possible to get started in licensing and ultimately to be successful as musicians in general. So I know this is sort of a, a big, broad question, but how should artists, like beyond and apart from just making great licensable music, how should they be connecting with with people like you? Well, I mean, for, you know, first off, you know, depending on the kind of music an artist is making, you know, and they think that they want to try to get their songs licensed and they are not already signed to a record label or a publishing company, you know, most of whom either have internal departments that do this work or hire companies, you know, like mine, um, you, know, they're, you know, they should research the companies that are representing independent artists for licensing and they should get a sense of, you know, the kind of music that those people represent. Um, I mean, we tend to be more generalists because um, mm. we, you know, we have such a diverse roster. But there are people that, you know, really, you know, function for the most part in urban music and the licensing side, or function for the most part, you know, in indie rock, you know, or or singer songwriters. And so, you know, in, you know, look, I mean, a lot of young artists are just reaching out to everybody. Um, yeah. But you know, generally, if if you reach out, the, the emails that I get from someone that I could see that they've, you know, spent 10 minutes looking at what we do and getting a sense of who we are, um, you know, those definitely resonate more than the ones that feel like they are, you know, it's just a form letter that they created that they've sent out to tons of people. I mean, I get lots of emails from artists saying, you know, hey, you know, I want to see if you'll consider my songs, you know, for the production you're working on because they're assuming I'm a music supervisor, which means yeah. they haven't even done the minimum amount of work, you know. So those I never pay attention to. I mean, uh, emails I get that have MP3s attached very seldom get paid attention to. There's just too many easy ways to send people links from which they can stream their music to be clogging up people's emails with a bunch of MP3s. Um, but, you know, I mean, look, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of companies that do this kind of work, and by this kind of work, I mean represent independent labels and artists, you know, for licensing purposes. You know, but, there, you know, there, there are companies that have been around for a while and clearly have a track record, and there's companies that are a little bit more fly-by-night, um, you know, and so they should really just try to get a sense of about, you know, researching it. There's different publications, and, like, you know, I mean, young people are all online all the time anyway. Just, you know, get online and kick around and see what you can find. What percentage of of the emails that you receive on a regular basis, like what percentage w- would you say have actually done the research and obviously know what you're about and what Sugaroo is about as opposed to people just randomly, blindly submitting their music to you? Um, less than 5%. Le- wow. Less than 5% that take yeah. the time. Yeah, to, and to... That's, why the, that's why those are like, okay. You know, like when someone writes a thoughtful note that, you know, that, you know, again, it's just not a form letter, um, you know, it, it, it resonates more than when, you know, you know, all they did was change the email address and the name. And like, I mean, I get why, you know, someone wants to, you know, you know, cover a wide space and hit as many people as possible. But I mean, the emails that, you know, um, you know, someone has done, you know, a minimum amount of research just, you know, mean more than the ones that don't. Yeah, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm having sort of a light bulb moment because I like I have to be entirely honest with my listeners and admit that I've done exactly what you're describing. I've, I've taken emails and copy and pasted them thinking 
that uh, my credits and my background would, would would be enough to sort of get someone's attention. But no, this is this is good stuff. This is this is uh, giving me some ideas. Well, cool. That's great. I mean, look, you know, there are times when, um, oh, you know, like we have we've had you know uh, music supervisors or production companies or studios or ad agencies that we've been working with. You know, forever, and we've got long-standing relationships. But at the same time, you know, there are companies that pop up. You know, there are music houses that pop up. You know, people that were music supervisors for an ad agency, and now they're out on their own. You know, and maybe we don't know them. And so, anytime myself or anyone on my team, if we're reaching out to a company that we don't, we haven't already done business with, or with an individual that we haven't done business with, you know, we ourselves are going to do some research first. You know, and so the note that we're writing. Um, makes them feel like you know, hey, we you know we we know who they are, we know some of what they've done, and that's why we're reaching out to them. Um, so yeah. you know, when we're on the other side of the you know of the email, we're trying to do the same thing that I'm suggesting people do when they reach out to companies like mine. No, that makes a lot of sense. What what are your thoughts on networking and connecting with people in person versus online? So I'm going to go out to LA next month i'm going to be be there for like 2 weeks and i'm setting up meetings and i'm going to be out there and trying to do as much face to face networking as possible how much more effective and important do you feel like that is as opposed to just sending people emails well i mean you know i'm sure some of this comes because i'm a middle aged dude uh, <laughs> but you know everyone spends so much of their time online um and i cannot stress enough what i consider to be the importance of physically being in front of another human being, you know, no matter what, at the end of the day, you know, human beings are animals and we communicate things, yes, verbally and with our intellect, but we communicate things with our body language and with our, and with our eyes. And there's, you know, and if you're an intuitive person, there are things that you're going to pick up by sitting across a desk from somebody that you're never going to pick up, you know, on email, certainly, and maybe not even on the phone. Um, So, you know, with my team, my creative team, you know, I, you know, they all have, their, you know, sugar credit cards, and they're all, you know, told to go out there and schmooze, you know. I mean, yeah, pitch all the people that you pitch, but, you know, get in front of people, you know, meet up with people, have lunches, have coffee, have dinners, you know. We, you know, we invite people to our band's gigs, you know, and like, yeah. we know that these people get invited to probably 100 gigs a week, and so we don't take it personally if they don't say yes to the gigs we invite them to. But just the more time that you, you know, in front of another person, um, you know, I think that just makes more of a difference than, you know, strictly electronic communication, which, look, you know, it still forms the bulk of our communications, but there's nothing like, you know, being in front of a person, in my, in my view. Do you feel, or, or how important do you think it is to live in a major music city, a city like L.A. or, or New York or, or Nashville? Do you, feel like, do you feel like you need to in 2017 to make it in the music business, music licensing, and just the music business in general? I don't think you need to live in these cities, but I do think you need to visit these cities with yeah. some regularity. Um, you know, I mean, like if you're, you know, and I realize that could be a daunting thing if you are, you know, a, a young artist who lives in Georgia, you know, um, or Florida or, or whatever, you know, anywhere that's not New York, L.A., Nashville, and, you know, maybe Austin, though there's really not that much music business industry yeah. in Austin. Um so yeah, I mean, like you know, in terms of trying to meet people to to work with your music, if you know, if, if someone is not on a label and they're not on a publisher, so they don't already have, you know, industry relationships by virtue of the people that they're signed to, 
um, then yeah, they need to figure out you know, how they can get in front of other human beings, you know, and play shows in New York, Nashville, L.A., um, and just try to build a network of people. Now, look, I mean, I, ideally, if they don't have a label or publisher, they will, you know, get a manager uh, who's yeah. got industry contacts or, you know, failing that, you know, have a lawyer, you know, that has industry contacts because it's, you know, it's a really hard thing to start from scratch, you know, unless you happen to be an unbelievably, ridiculously great artist whose music is just popping up because it's popping up, you know, and that is an incredibly small percentage of people that are making music, and it's something that no one should ever try to rely on. So do you feel like even like prior to reaching out to somebody like you or a company like yours, that it makes sense to have a manager first? Or, or an attorney or someone representing them? Or can indie artists that are just representing themselves connect with people like you and, and successfully sort of get a, a foot in the door that way? Well, I mean, they certainly can. You know, um, it's, it's always easier. Like if someone is reaching out to me that I already know or I know of, you know, that, you know, they're, they're just naturally, and I think I'm not just speaking for myself, I'm probably speaking, you know, for most, you know, um, if you're being reached out to by someone you've done business with before, then you're, you know, you're probably going to be more responsive to it. And, and look, I mean, if I was starting, if I was starting a business now, as opposed to having mine for 18 years, you know, I was starting a roster now, then I would be looking at everyone that's e- emailing me, you know, but just, it's just yeah. the reality of just the size of my roster and, you know, and, and, you know, and what our responsibilities are to the people we already represent that, pre- you know, you know, lessens our interest in signing people. But, you know, there are companies that are, you know, looking to sign people pretty regularly, you know, and at the same time, you know, I would also suggest to your listeners that they be careful because there's a lot of unscrupulous people out there, you know, and who are going to try to take advantage of artists who, you know, aren't experienced and don't necessarily know how things work. So, Interesting. And what sort of things should people look out for to take advantage in, in what way? Well, I mean, there's some general industry standards in terms of what you know, and I'm making a differentiation between a licensing company versus a music publishing company. If, if you're signing a music publishing deal, the nature of, of that deal is going to be different than if you were signing a deal to have someone, you know, be your sync licensing entity. I mean, yeah. for the most part, if, if someone is not, you know, giving you an advance, you know, on future earnings, they shouldn't ever be asking for any ownership interest in your music, whether it's your master recordings or your music publishing rights. You know, what you do see with some of the companies that have sprung over the years, they try to sign artists, they then take their songs and they retitle them and they, in order to give themselves a piece of the artist's publishing, which has been done a ton of times and it's repulsive and it's not cool and people are doing it, you know, probably 20 times right now somewhere in L.A. as we're speaking. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, and something that a young artist who doesn't necessarily understand how the business works is going to be more susceptible to those kinds of people than they would be if they had someone representing them that, you know, understands the business. Yeah, I was approached, I think this was last year, but I was approached by a publisher that wanted exclusivity, publishing rights, and they wanted to own the copyright for nothing up front. And, uh, I, yeah, I see, I see it a lot. It just seems like a, a horrible arrangement it is a horrible arrangement yeah uh, and uh you know and again there's a lot of people out there doing that kind of stuff and it's really not cool so um yeah yeah so don't do that 
if you're Don't listening do to that. this. Yeah. <laughs> where do you, um, moving along, wh- where do you see licensing in sort of the grand scheme of things in, in term in terms of revenue for, for artists, what should artists strive for licensing-wise? Like what percentage of their income should be derived from licensing? Well, I mean, that's almost an impossibility, you know, to ever sort of project because, you, know, you know, everybody's, you know, financial requirements are going to be different, you know. Um, so for the most part, uh, I, I think most artists, if they, if they are artists who are trying to, you know, have a sustainable career, for themselves, I mean, licensing is you know is, is going to be part of it. Uh, you know, ideally, if they are creating music that is licensable. I mean, look, you know, there are some people that are making like really hard or aggressive music, and there's just not a lot of opportunities to license that. You know, as an example. Um, however, uh, you know, I think their primary focus should be on creating the best records possible and building a fan base because what's really sustainable in my view, for an artist long-term, is having a fan base, people that want to come see them play, people that want to stream their music, you know. So, you know, having opportunities to have, you know, 30, 40, or 50 markets in the United States where they can play live shows and have people pay money to see them is a lot more sustainable than just trying to, you know, get by on licensing income, which is so subjective and so impossible to project. Um, You know, you and I and eight other people could be sitting in a room together and have someone put, you know, a, a, a commercial on the wall and say, you know, what kind of music you think should go behind this spot, and all ten of us can say something totally different. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, having a plan to have someone represent your music and try to get licensing, you know, is, is, is smart, but I don't think it's anything that anyone can, can rely on and sort of, you know, budget accordingly, because you just never know. In terms of, of building a following and building a fan base for, for your music, and, and I realize this might be sort of a difficult question to answer, but it seems like the thing that everyone that I interview sort of points to is, is this idea of, of having a team, having, like you said, having a manager, having someone represent your sync licensing. If you sort of had to map out what an ideal network should look like in terms of people that are, that you're working with, like, like how many people do you think should be on your team as, as an independent artist? Well, I don't know if it's, it's the number of people as much as it is the, you know, the right people, you know, and, and look, you know, and I think if someone has an opportunity to have a manager who maybe has some industry experience, but not as, you know, but isn't a power player, but is just ready to give their, you know, their blood, sweat and tears to it, you know, versus maybe having someone that's more experienced who's, you know, not that into it, but is going to take you on as a favor or something. I mean, that's, you know, those are always, you know, hard questions that someone has to kind of figure out on a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, uh, there, there's nothing like having someone who just believes in you completely and at the same time has some relationships, is smart, and is willing to bust their ass because, you know, is probably not going to make any money um, you know, representing a young artist for some time, you know, so there's going to be a not insignificant investment, you know. Um, you know, look, if you end up having a manager who is, uh, you know, smart and well-connected and passionate, I mean, that's, you know, that's that's hitting, hitting a home run um, because then you're getting all of that. Uh, so I don't know if it really matters the, the amount of people as much as who the people are. I mean, to me, I, someone's better off having one smart, hard-working dedicated, passionate person on their team than having, you know, three or four that are like, you know, just, okay, you know, let me, let me get to this when I can and, 
you know, but I got other things that are more important to me. So, yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. And finally, I'll leave you with this question. This is an, another question that I'm asking most of the guests on my podcast. And the question is sort of what are your thoughts on the future of, of the music business? Obviously, the music business has changed dramatically over the last couple decades. Are you optimistic about the future? Are you pessimistic? A little, a little bit of both? Like, what do you think in general sort of going forward? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, there is a lot of great music being made. Um, yeah. And, you know, there, there's no shortage of great music, and there's no shortage of creativity, and there's no shortage of, of people that are, are inspiring and people that are inspired. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think some people that are, you know, there are people that are going to make music because they're like, hey, I, you know, this is what I have to do. Uh, you know, wh- whether whether I become successful or not, I'm writing these songs and I'm going to play these songs and this is something that I'm just going to do, period. You know, and there's other people that are like, hey, like, I want to be a star. You know, I want to be a pop star. I want to be a rock and roll star. I want to be, a, you know, uh, you know, a hip-hop artist that everyone knows. I mean, you know, and that's going to be a slightly different dynamic. Um, so... I mean, you know, look, obviously, and I'm not going to sit here and profess to be an expert on all things in the music business, but clearly, you know, the streaming model is what is, is, what is going to be, you know, and I think that, you know, the people that, you know, love vinyl, I know vinyl sales have been, you know, increasing over the last seven or eight years, but that's, you know, probably getting close to plateauing. But like I said earlier, you know, to me, the most important thing that any young artist can do is make the best music they can possibly make and then get a fan base. You know, and look, the people that are really smart and that are have great social media presence and they can create events online. I mean, that's obviously a great way to start, you know. And on the other hand, you know, I think, you know, getting in your van with your buddies and playing gigs and, you know, playing different markets over and over again. And ideally, every time you play, building more and building more, you know, yeah. that that can create a sustainable long term career. Um, How it. Yeah, 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 for sure. How important do you feel like it is? Because it seems like a lot of artists that come to my website and clients that I work with and that I do consulting with, it seems like a lot of them are a little bit older. And something I hear a lot is I don't want to tour anymore. I tried that. It didn't work. Maybe they're in their 40s or 50s and they want to just they have this idea that they can sit at home, record these great songs, crank crank out music and be successful licensing. Do you, do you see that as a viable way to go about licensing music? And I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, do you uh, need to tour and play live in order to be just like super successful with licensing? No, no, you don't. Okay. I mean, you, you, you first and foremost have to, you know, write and create great songs. Um, but, you know, but if you are, you know, a, you know, uh, you know, a, a 40-year-old, you know, guy with, you know, with a wife and, and kids and, you know, you've got a home studio and you're, you're writing, you know, really good songs and you've got a good relationship with someone who's seeing them out there. Um, you know, it, it, do I think that someone can make a living doing that? No, I don't. I think the amount of, of people that can actually have, have that be their primary source of income would be minuscule. Um, I, yeah. I would be you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I'd be surprised if there were, you know, 20 people in the country that can really do that. I mean, unless they already had something before that, you know, unless they were yeah. assigned artists and, you know, or unless they had been, you know, a composer creating original music, you know, for commercials or for trailers. They've already been doing that. But if someone, you know, has been, you know, a, a school teacher or, 
you know, is, you know, worked in tech and, you know, and now they're, you know, but they've always been a musician and now they want to, you know, try to start doing this, you know, at 40, you know, or whatever, I, I think it's going to be a tough road to hope. I mean, I, I certainly don't think they can plan on having that be their job. You know, they could plan on yeah. having something they love that will, like, you know, sometimes put some money in their pocket, but I don't think they can plan on having that be, you know, something that, you know, pays their mortgage. Yeah, it sounds like you really need to be all in. You need to to be an artist that that tours and and writes and, like you said, has a manager and has people working with him. It, it's it's a full time endeavor. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, there there certainly are exceptions to the rule, but you know, but there you know there are exceptions because there are exceptions, you know, and um, you know, it's it's hard, you know, and 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 no matter what, you know, whether it's you know a company like ours, it's you know been around for a long time and is, you know, licensed you know ten thousand songs over the years. Um, it's still, you know, we have to dance for our supper every single day. You know, there's, there's, yeah. you know, um, we've got no guarantees about what we do. Um, and, you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, and it's, it's, an, it's an impossible thing to predict. You know, I mean, look, I've gotten used to it. I run this business this way, but, uh, you know, but when you, you know, are running, you know, when you're looking to make money on, you know, getting songs licensed, it's, there's just, there's nothing pre- precise about it. So you can't sit there and say, hey, you know, I know I'm going to, you know, have 10 licenses, you know, as an individual artist, you know, in 2018, you know, that's going to collectively pay me, you know, 190000 You know, if someone is planning, then, you know, they're probably going to be disappointed. Yeah. Do you have any sort of idea on average when you pitch to a project? Is there any sort of, are you able to quantify like what the average success ratio is? Oh. Even in terms of when we're when we're pitching songs, how often does what we pitched become a license? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. it's you know it, it would be. Well, I guess look, I'm going to qualify that somewhat. You know, it's one thing if we are someone sends us out a search and we're responding to that search with songs is one way of pitching. I mean, another way of pitching is we'll just create custom compilations and send them into you know, a music supervisor who works on a particular TV show or works at a trailer house, you know, or works for an advertising agency. That's a different way of pitching. I'm assuming maybe you're meaning the the responding to music searches where they're like, hey, I'm working on this and I need, you know, some, you know, mid-tempo rock songs with a female vocal that's about a summer morning. Um, I would say, you know, we probably get like one out of 30. Mm, it's not, not not too bad, right? But But again, like you said, they're coming to you initially anyways yeah now you know and and, and again it, it varies you know there there are people that you know we get most of our licenses because we just know the music they like and we send them either entire records or we create custom compilations for them that they download and then they just keep in their own library and they know when they're looking for something they'll go oh, they'll go to their sugar roo section of their hard drive and they'll pull out some of our stuff you know um, but then there are people that are, you know, sending out searches and asking us for specific stuff for a specific project. And so, you know, there, you know, a lot of different people have different processes, and it's our job to service people they want to be serviced, you know, and that's what we need to do in order to be successful. So, you know, my creative team all have their clients that they pitch music to, and it's their job to understand how all their clients want to receive music. Um, and so that's, you know, part of what I expect them to do on a daily basis. Gotcha. Well, listen, um, thanks so much for doing this. I, I know we talked about keeping this to around a half hour and looks like we're at almost 40 minutes. So I'm going to let you go, but I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Before you go, 
I wanted to tell people where they can learn more about Sugaroo. So your website is Sugaroo, which is S-U-G-A-R-O-O dot com. That's correct. And that's probably the best place. Go there, go to our Facebook page. And, you know, we also have uh, on YouTube, there's a Sugaroo placements page that probably lists, uh, you know, 100 or so, you know, recent placements. And, you know, there's, there's lots of opportunities to, you know, for anyone just kicking around, there's not you know, too many other Sugaroos, so we're pretty easy to find. Cool. And do you encourage artists or do you welcome artists to submit music via your website? Should they reach out and connect with you? Yeah, I mean they're 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 welcome to do that, you know. And again, as I said at the top of our um, of our chat, you know, we're you know we we say no to most, um, and that's for no other reason that we're just trying to you know work work the artists where we work. But yeah, they're they're welcome to reach out to us, and at the same time, they should you know also look at other companies and 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 other and research other companies and and have you know a sense of the companies that will make sense for their music as well. Sure, that makes sense. Um... Well, listen, thanks so much for doing this, and um, let's keep in touch, and have a great day. My pleasure, Aaron. Good luck. Thanks, Michael. Take Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.